She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he would resolve to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will, be, she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to God, to you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's Advent season, and we're talking about how it is that there is strength in, strength in being humble. And there's no better story than to talk about the down-to-earth lifestyle of being humble in your faith than talking about Joseph. Joseph was a humble man of humble means. He was a carpenter. He worked with his hands, living in a small village of Galilee. It had roughly 500 people. And there he was a carpenter. And he worked all during the day, and he finally made enough money where he built a nice house, and he had enough money to go to the parents of the young lady that he wanted to make his wife and betroth her. And there was Mary, this beautiful girl around the age of 14, which was the age that young ladies became betrothed. And he gave the dowry or the bride price, and they accepted, and he became betrothed. And there was a time that they would have to wait, and then they would become Mary. And in that time, suddenly, his betrothed becomes pregnant. The only thing he knows for sure is he is not the father. So he has options to him. He has options that he can set her aside quietly, or he can do what the religious authorities tell him is right and proper among the law, and he can have her publicly stoned to death as an adulteress, or he can marry her. I can tell you that there is not one mother here that would be like, yeah, sure, marry her, that's a great idea. So he decides he's just going to put her aside quietly. She can have the baby, she can go on with her life, He's just going to put her aside quietly. He really liked her. He's not out for blood money. That's just not right. And then he has this dream. And in this dream, this angel comes to him and says the most terrifying words that you will ever hear in the Bible. Do not be afraid. There are no more terrifying words in the Bible than when an angel comes to you and says, do not be afraid. Because as soon as an angel says, do not be afraid, you need to run. 
because your life is about to change in a way that you know you need to be afraid. Wouldn't you be afraid? Oh, Lord, your life is going to change. And Joseph says, okay. Okay. I am going to wake up and I'm going to take her as my wife. And I'm not going to be afraid. He is a man of humble faith. Now, we hear people saying this next phrase all the time. I've heard many people say this, but they never mean it the way Joseph says it. Joseph says, if God says it, I believe it, and it's good enough for me. God said, Mary, Mary, it's just hard to say three times fast. Mary, 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 Mary. Mary, your bride. Mary, Mary, take her to your wife. It's all good. She is pregnant with a Savior. Take her to your wife. It's everything that you're supposed to do. And he says, yes, God said it. I'm going to do it. It is fine. And he moves ahead forward. He's not taking a religious stand and saying, it's good enough for me because this version of the Bible said it so. He's not saying it's good enough for me because my conservative or my liberal or my progressive stance says it so. He's not saying it, it's good enough for me because I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat and it says it so. He's saying it's good enough for me because God told me, so I'm doing it. What is the one thing that you don't see Jesus doing in this? I mean, Jesus Joseph doing in this? He doesn't go to the religious leaders. He doesn't get up in the morning and go to the religious leaders in town and say, you know, I had this dream. Could you talk about this dream and let me know if it truly was a dream from God? And do you know why that is important? Because if he had the religious leaders debating about this, say he was Methodist, and he came to the religious leaders and he brought it to a Methodist group, they'd have to form a committee. And then there'd have to be a subcommittee. And there'd have to be meetings. Jesus would be born, Jesus would rise, Jesus would be resurrected, and we'd still be in committee meetings. That would be the same with his people. They'd still be discussing whether Joseph's dream was a real dream from God or whether it wasn't a dream for God. They'd still be arguing it, whether it was true or not. Joseph didn't need anybody else to tell him if God was talking to him. Joseph's faith said, God can talk to anybody. You don't have to be an ordained clergy person. You don't have to be an ordained, anointed prophet. God will talk to who God wants to talk to. And for some reason, God decided to talk to me through an angel today. And God said that you are being called for a specific reason. And the only thing that a person of faith does at that moment is say, yes, God. Yes, God. I will follow what you said. 
And that's exactly what Joseph did. And we know that he raised his adopted son that very way. Because Jesus' entire ministry was about teaching people not to get caught up in all the rules and the intricacies and the arguments in Scripture, but to cut to the chase when it came to theology. Not to worry about over the 600 and some rules that can be found in the, the Old Testament Scriptures. Not to worry about every commandment that there was that by that point was found in the Torah. But when they said, what commandment is the most important to Jesus? He said, to love your Lord God and to love your neighbor. That's it. Cut to the chase. Don't worry about all the qualifiers. Cut to the chase. Joseph and Mary had instilled in him what's the most important. Love your Lord God and love your neighbors. Both of them knew that it was essential just to follow God. Not to worry about all the rules and all the regulations because they'd already had to buck all those. All the people in the town were against them. All the religious leaders had told them all the reasons why they shouldn't get married in the first place. But God, God had come to Mary and Joseph and told them, no, I'm calling you. I don't care what the rule book says. I'm calling you to be mine. You follow me. And they told Jesus that when God when God calls you, that's the most important thing. Don't worry about all the, the rules in the book. Don't worry about what all the people say about the rules in the scripture. You listen to what God says, and you teach people that that's the most important thing. And that's what Jesus did his entire ministry. Jesus said, cut to the chase over everything that Scripture says. And remember that it's the most important that you love each other. That you love your neighbor. That you love God. That you love yourself. That you take care of each other. That you pray for each other. That you pray for your enemies. That is what is important, that you listen to your God. So how is this down-to-earth, humble faith given to us by a, a down-to-earth, humble Messiah that was so humble, so humble, that our Messiah gave up all of his trappings of being a God and came to earth and was so humble that he literally gave his life for us on a cross. How, how do we take his words and use it in our lives this Advent season? Well, let's take the first thing that he told us. He told us, love your God first in all that we do. And then love your neighbor as yourself. So let's put those words in action. I've been hearing on TV, depending on what channel you choose to listen to, that if somebody says happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, that the world is coming to an end. 
that that truly is fighting words. That, the, that there's an attack on the entire Christian institution because somebody said happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And that we need to save Christianity through setting them right. I'm here to tell you now that that's not an attack on anything. Both expressions are expressions of joy, happy, merry, Christmas is Christmas. Holiday is a shortening of holy day. Neither one is something that should cause pain or grief. Jesus said to love our neighbor, not hate on somebody that just said something joyous to you. Every time I turn on a TV and I, I see people spewing hate for five to ten minutes because somebody dared to say happy holidays. Why? Why at this time of year would you hate somebody for saying something like happy holidays? Love your neighbor Love your neighbor when they're expressing a joyful sentiment to you. Love your neighbor when they're just greeting you with a salutation. The next thing that Jesus said is not only love your neighbor and pray and love your enemies, but also pray for your enemies. And at this time of year, we hear some people get so angry over the commercialization of Christmas. I got to tell you, I'm one of those people. I get tired of seeing Santa Claus attached to everything. I get tired of seeing Santa Claus after a while. I'm like, it's not about Santa Claus, people. Come on. And I get, I get a little humbuggy. Why is Santa Claus everywhere? Why is he taking over? I get that way. And then I have to back off a little bit. And I have to remember that there is some good that's coming out of all of this commercialization. That God can use everything for God's purpose. And what is that? There is some amazing things that happens out of this commercialization. Millions of dollars are raised for charity every year by those little red buckets that you see in every mall and every store. Coat drives go out every year in, stall, in stores and malls. And people that are shopping and spending way too much money on gifts. I got six grandkids, I'm one of them. And they, they drop off thousands of coats so that people that normally wouldn't have coats now have coats. Yes, we have too much shopping and too much commercialization, but God can work in the midst of all of that. Santa Claus is not our enemy. He's just part of how God can make something that we go a little crazy over into something good if you look for it. And the final one, the final one is Christ tells us to go forth in the world and make disciples so how do we do that in Christmas? Christmas is the greatest gift that we've ever been given. This is the only time in the year 
that the majority of the people in the United States know what us church people are talking about. That they have a clue who the players are. So when we say Jesus, they go, oh, the baby? We're like, yes, that's what we're talking about. Mary and Joseph, they have an idea. We can actually engage in conversation with some people that wouldn't know what we are talking about. This is an open opportunity for us to engage in a lot of conversations with people that normally wouldn't talk to us about faith. This is a golden opportunity for us to share, to witness our faith in a way that is unprecedented. We can talk about the miracle of Christ coming into this world with an entire universe of people that are unfaithed, of different faiths, of never been in a church. You can invite people to Christmas services. You can talk about what your children is doing. You can talk about the Christmas pageant. You can talk about Christmas gifts. You can talk about Christmas in ways that maybe you would be uncomfortable talking about Christ normally. Take this as the gift that it is. You might be uncomfortable being an evangelist 99% of the year, but are you uncomfortable about saying Merry Christmas to somebody and saying we've got a great Christmas service or a Christmas cantata? Have you heard the music at our church? What a gift from God that through this special holiday, we can reach out to the unchurched, the non-churched, the hurt by the churched, and bring them back. This holiday is not only a gift because Christ is coming back into the world, but this is a gift of love in a way that we can reach out to those in the world that might feel disenfranchised by so many things in the church. This is a way that we can be humble in our faith and tell the world how grateful we are for Christ. This is a way we can be down to earth in our ministry to God and say, you know what the greatest gift is? It's that Christ comes into the world and because Christ comes into the world, we now can welcome you into our church. We can celebrate. We can joyfully announce that once again Christmas is here. Come and join us. Be a part of it. Hear what we have to say. Amen.